0: Welcome to One Life Church. My name is Pastor Guy. We are, if you haven't gathered, unapologetically preachers of Jesus Christ as the one and only way to salvation. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come into your church, into your sanctuary as your church to worship, to learn, to grow, to fellowship with each other. Just to say thank you for salvation. Thank you for your enduring faithfulness. Thank you that just because I have a down day doesn't mean you have a down day. Thank you that your gospel that your good news of the cross sustains us. I thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will meet us here as I believe you already have. That God, you and the Spirit have come and you are present. I pray, Lord, that you will speak through me, to me and through me, and, and, and that you'll just anoint my tongue to, to preach as you call me to preach your truths, not my truths. And I pray that each person here will have ears to hear and souls and spirits that are ready to hear your truths and just be encouraged to walk out of here and to serve the one and only living God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we often talk about faith in God. Having faith in all circumstances, believing in Jesus to, to bring us through whatever it is that we're facing. And, 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 we, and I sat across a hospital bed with a guy this week that said, my faith is everything. My faith is, is everything I have. It's everything that I need. It's all of who I am. It's the most important part of my life. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But how does a person obtain faith? Is there a formula or is there an equation? Have you ever wondered where faith comes from? Can you find it on a map? Can, can, can I produce it myself? If... if, if if I, if I want faith, do I choose faith or does faith choose me? If I need more faith when life gets hard and life will get hard or doubts creep into my mind, how do I do that? How do I get what I need? See, faith is a topic that is, is one of the most confused in, in, in all of Christianity. It's been mistreated, it's been misplaced, it's been misrepresented, it's been misunderstood. By us, by Christians, by honest, God-fearing, God-loving, God-serving, born-again believers, messed it up in our teaching of it, in our understanding of it, in our in, in our conversations with each other. See, well-meaning Christians. They sometimes say that if you get sick or if a loved one dies or if your business fails or if, if you have to, 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 to declare bankruptcy or, you, or, or even if you stub your toe on the way into or out of church, then maybe it's because you don't have enough faith. Maybe you're missing something. Maybe you've heard that to have more faith, it means you grit your teeth or you grip your Bible tight until your knuckles are white. Try harder. Try harder. To believe, if I cross my T's, dot my I's, then I can be among the all stars of faith in my church. However, what does the Bible teach? This is the way I. I don't know about you guys. I don't know what what your walk with God, your your Christian life has has looked like. But I, I like to hear opinions. I like to read commentaries, stories, people's interpretations of scripture, but, and, and I like to understand experience, but most important thing to me is what did God say? What did God say about this? Is God silent on this? Does God guide us in this? See, the Bible teaches that faith comes from God in the form of a gift, and he assigns it to us to the measure that he wants us to have and the measure that we need for that particular time or for the life that we're going to live. For example, say in mar- martyrdom, that a martyr may need some more faith to get them through. God will give them the increase. So God decides how much faith we receive. We choose to accept Christ, but the amount of faith that we receive is a gift from god that doesn't and and god decides how much faith we receive but that doesn't mean it's not enough that means that it doesn't mean that it can't increase it doesn't mean you won't have enough or you can't have enough or it won't get better let me point out two examples of faith where jesus heals in um in the new testament heals a demon possessed boy two different scenarios in in Matthew 17 the disciples couldn't heal the demon possessed boy and Jesus tells them that it takes only the faith of a mustard seed and the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds the tiniest bit of faith. God just gives you enough to believe you can move mountains. You can do great things in his name. See, it doesn't take much to do big things. And in Mark chapter nine, in a similar scenario, there's a demon possessed boy and and his dad wants him to be healed. And, And he uses the phrase in talking to Jesus, he says, If you can. And Jesus says, If I can? You mean, you're not sure if I can? And how does he respond? See, it only takes a little bit. But how does Jesus respond whenever he's, or how does this man respond? He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe help the pieces of me help anything in me that doesn't believe any part of me that I'm hiding over here that I don't want to say yeah I believe help that give me more faith ask for more faith more give me that faith through opportunities and through trials and 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 through hearing more of of the gospel gifting me with more of what I need and God will I honor that prayer God decides how much faith we receive, but that doesn't mean it's not enough. That doesn't mean it can't increase. Scripture. I've entitled tonight's sermon "Faithful Until Victory," and we're studying the, we're studying the book of Revelations, the seven churches of Revelation, and tonight where our series has taken us. Tonight I wanna show you a group of Christians, a first century church that came on hard times and they received a love letter from Jesus encouraging them to be faithful until the end. See, I don't know where you guys are at tonight individually, but I, this is a series I planned three weeks ago. And, and I believe that those of us who are here are not here, by mistake so I pray that as we look at this faithful until victory as we study this church I truly believe there's something in this for you and my prayer is just like I prayed when I started my prayer is that the Holy Spirit has something to say to you not me but God don't look at me I'm just the talking head that's all I am so this this church if if you brought your Bibles with you, and i I hope that you did, I hope that you did, and we're going to put this on the screen, but I, I I do encourage you guys to bring your your favorite Bibles with you when you come to church. Uh, I usually preach out of uh English standard version, but that that can change sometimes, but um you can turn to Revelation chapter two, and we're going to camp out there tonight. Um, we've been working through some passages of the book of Revelation. And and it's no secret, this is the scariest book of the Bible for most Christians, partly because it's confusing and partly because it sparks a lot of controversy, uh, a lot of division within the church. And let me just touch on that real quick, what that looks like in the book of Revelation. This is mostly based on Revelation 20. A lot of people, as soon as they hear uh, the word revelation, it comes up to Christians, they almost immediately divide into camps, camps of interpretation of, well, you're with th- those people. You need to go hang out with the Baptists or the Church of God or, or the cma or the Methodists, however you, how you say those, uh, because based on your understanding of revelation, and some, some, when they read Revelation, they're, they're pre-millennialists, which means they believe that at end times, you get a literal thousand, reign of Christ, thousand year reign of Christ. Others are post-millennialists, which, who maintain that there will be an increase in godliness leading up to the return of Christ. And then there are amillennialists who maintain that there is no literal thousand year reign of Christ. And then there's one more, my favorite humorous category called the pan-millennialist, which are the people who believe that everything will just simply pan out in the end. It's gonna be okay. If you're worried about it, you're probably gonna be okay. But we're not gonna venture down those roads tonight or in those series. I just, I wanna make you aware of different pieces of that as we go through this eight week series and we're in week three um, of this. Um, But we're focusing on chapters two and three where Jesus tells the apostle John a disciple who walked with him and lived the longest, he, he tells him to send this message from Jesus to seven literal churches that exist in modern day Turkey. Most of these churches were commended by Jesus for, for what they do well. And we wanna be one of those churches, right? We wanna do it well. We wanna do it as best as, as we can by the grace of God. but then they were also rebuked for what they did wrong. Last week, we talked about the church in Ephesus and we talked about how they were really good at doing church, but they had forgotten their first love. They forgot about Jesus. It became all about doing church and not about, hey, we love Jesus. And then they tend to be warned of what will happen if they continue to do wrong and then offered a solution by Jesus. If this is how you correct the ship, you don't have to go down with the ship. You can correct this. I don't wanna put out your want to. I don't wanna leave your church. I don't wanna take the spirit from your church. I want you to make it to so do these things. But only two churches out of the seven receive no correction at all. And we're about to read about one of those churches. And uh, this is the letter written to the church in Smyrna. S M Y R N A Smyrna you guys say Smyrna Smyrna you can say it like that if you want Smyrna Smyrna is about 35 miles north of last week's church Ephesus and and it's the only city that ex- of these cities this is a church within this city a small church probably within a, a large city of uh, of non-Christians and there's a city of uh, a small church of Christians. And this is the only city of the seven cities that still exists today. And it's got a new name. It's known as Izmir, Turkey. And during its day that this was written around the year 100, Smyrna was, it was a a prettier city than Ephesus. It was not as large as Ephesus. It was A prosperous port city but they were a good behavior city they they they're part of the the Roman Empire they'd become part of that as they as the Roman Empire was expanding and and they they were really good about being part of the Roman Empire so we're dealing with some you know the people of this city they 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 got they were recognized for having good behavior and they were they, they were chosen as a site for, which was a, would have been a great honor as a, a site to, to put a statue of Emperor Tiberius Caesar not long before he was then replaced by Augustus Caesar who, is, who Jesus was born under his reign of Rome. And, and that statue was a big deal to them because this statue was a way of saying, hey, we're pro-emperor, this city where this church is located, they were pro emperor. And in the minds of these Roman citizens, Caesar wasn't just president. He wasn't just king. He wasn't even Obama, okay? And he certainly wasn't Trump or Hillary. He was God to them. He was a, a big deal. They didn't just say, hey, we do what he says because he got awarded the office or because or because he's king and he, he's next in line in, in, in the, in, in uh, he's the kid or, or he killed the leader. So now he's the leader or any of that. He, he was viewed as God, that God put him there. And, and that's important to know because I want you guys to understand the context of where, where this letter is coming in. But when we read this letter and we're about to get into the scripture here, just one minute. This letter flies in the face of what you and I hear and what they would have heard in the local culture. It flies in the face of the media and the television and what we hear sometimes from famous church leaders. See, one thing that America has been invaded by and has also invaded modern Christianity is that being a Christian means that life is never tough. That being a Christian means that faith is always easy. If you pray, you get a bigger house. If you pray, you get a nicer car. If you pray, you get a better job. These promises of wealth that as long as you stay faithful, then you'll always be driving a BMW. But a lot of preachers, they avoid certain scriptures and, and what we're about to read is one of them. And, and they, are, they, they avoid scriptures and they can't teach verse by verse because if they do, then they're gonna bump into things that ruin their name it and claim it message. That if I put my foot in the land, it's mine. That if I'm born again, then life is always easy. Life can always be peace. Life will, can, can be filled with joy, but, but we're still living in this world and trials are going to come. And if you've known me for long, you can probably gather that I prefer to preach the whole Bible because, because I have to answer to God someday for what I preach from a pulpit that I claim as a pulpit of Jesus Christ. I have to stand and, and, and answer to that. I'd say, God, 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 was I faithful to where you called me to preach? See, some teach that if you have God on your side, then you'll never hurt And that's a false concept of faith, that God always brings you out of things and keeps you out of every piece of harm possible. That if your faith is strong enough, you won't have pain. But no, God doesn't always bring you out. Sometimes he brings you through. Sometimes he takes your hand or he carries you and puts you on his shoulders and said, we're gonna get through this. I'm gonna give you what you need to get through this. And the bringing through can be pretty painful sometimes. But let's look at this letter to the church in Smyrna, Smyrna, that needs encouragement to remain faithful. Please turn your cell phones off, Butch. (laughs) Revelation 2. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, he's one of those young high-tech people. Right there it is. You yeah, he's into Bible apps. Revelation 2, chapter 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. This is how Jesus introduces himself. See, I am... I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. I always was and I always will be. I died and I came to life. This is Jesus introducing himself to this church that doesn't get rebuked, but this church that needs to be encouraged to stay faithful because things are about to get ugly. Things are happening where they live. And Jesus wants everybody to know, he obviously wants everybody to know that he identifies himself with his own death and resurrection. It seems that he's, it's like it's his calling card. It's his, hey, hey, these are my credentials. I, I, I am qualified to speak to the church and you are required to listen to me because I, I'm, 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 I'm the guy. Like I, I took your sins to the cross. Listen to me. This is how he, he starts every letter with some variation of this, some new name of who he is. And he wants them to know, listen to me, this is my calling card. I know your tribulation, your great trouble and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of glory. I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. A few things I wanna point out in this letter tonight for us this letter breaks down very simply i'm jesus i know you're in trouble i know that you're poor i know that life is hard I know that there are Gentiles who claim to be Jews. There are non-Jews who claim to be Jews who have a a, a church, they have a synagogue where they're, they're claiming to be doing the work of God, but they're truly serving the devil. I know this is going on. I know you're poor, but you are rich in the spirit. Be faithful until death and you can't be hurt. Be faithful to the end and you won't be hurt. Jesus is monitoring and watching his church and our hearts and he knows our motives. He knows my motive and your motive and he's receiving these reports and he's watching and he knows what's going on. And he says to this church in Smyrna, I'm watching and I know. I know where you're at. I know where you've been. I know what you're struggling with. I know that they're coming after you. And he puts these three things together in verse two to, to, to help us to see that he completely understands the circumstance. We serve a God who understands where we're at. It's a beautiful thing. Think about, think about how their life looked like and think about now, has your life ever looked like this? Be it before you were saved or, or after you were saved. The circumstances are, hey, you got a bunch of trouble, you're poor. I see what others have and I realize I don't have much. If everybody in the community is poor and we never see anybody outside the community, we're all doing pretty well. But, there's, but when we see this and we understand this, my life is hard, my life is struggling, and the Jews in the neighborhood, they think they're serving God, but they're serving the devil and they're trying to ruin your Christian reputation. They're trying to squash your testimony and squash your spirit and make you feel like you're wasting your time and wasting your life and that it's it's, it's, not, supposed, it's not worth giving your life to this Jesus. Bunch of trouble, a little bit poor, very poor in their case. Just don't have enough, just don't have what you want just don't have what you need. People are trying to squash you. Does any of that sound like your life ever? You ever been in any situations like that? You got a bunch of trouble, You got bad things happening. Christianity is supposed to be smooth. It's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be a walk in the park. That that pastor on TV told me that my prayers for promotions and salary increases will, will eventually be answered if I have enough faith but I got trouble and I still have faith. I know I do. I know I do. What's it mean when he says you're poor, but you're rich? It means you're physically poor. I know you're physically poor. I know that you're struggling. I know you can't pay your bills. I know you got debt up to your eyeballs. I I know that you work all week and you still can't make ends meet. I know you work like a dog and take all the overtime that you can and and still your house isn't as nice or as fixed up or as clean or as, as big as all of your neighbors. It's not quite good enough. But you are rich if you have Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter if you live in Guatemala and have dirt floors. It doesn't matter if you got a bunk bed and now that's your only piece of furniture in your entire house this past week. What matters is that if you are saved, if you are born again and you're in the spirit, if God has changed your life, if you're a Christian like these people, you're the richest person on the planet. Amen. Because you can have the biggest bank account in all of the Punxsutawney area, you can have millions and millions of dollars. You fall over tomorrow, if you don't have Christ, you had nothing. That all stays here. Somebody else gets to spend it. What matters, and who's really rich? The people that have Jesus Christ. That's true wealth. That's all you need. You can't write a check to get into heaven. You can't write a check to take away your sin. You can't write a check to take away all of your pain and all of your burdens and all this great trouble and tribulation that they're talking about. That part doesn't matter. That part's important in this life because that's part of living in this economy. But what matters is that you're rich in your spirit, that you have Jesus Christ in your heart. I know you don't have, but let me tell you what matters. That's what Jesus wants them to know. You're the richest guy on the planet. There might be, there might be 100,000 people in your city and only 100 people in your church. But you're richer than all of them no matter what. And these, these people who claimed to be Jews and they, they thought they were serving God, but they're actually serving the devil. How, how many times do we see that? I mean, we're, we're in, in a world where Jesus actually said that a day will come, a day will come when they will kill you and they will claim that it is for God. They will claim it in the name of God. Jesus says that in Matthew, I forget the chapter. And we see that in our world. We see that on the news all the time. They claim they're serving the same God, but they deny Jesus. And Jesus is our God. We got great trouble and they're trying to, to drag us down but the but the people are going to come at you people are going to try to tear you down but the devil is going to throw you in prison the devil's going to throw you in prison and you're going some of you are going to be there for 10 days it's going to get ugly and the commentators, scholars, kind of argue or debate if that's a literal ten days or if it's just a, a, a just kind of a, a hey a metaphor here ten days. And but but that's not what matters. What what matters is is that is that the devil, those working for Satan, are going to cause harm in your life, and and it's gonna last for a certain period of time. It's gonna be hard for a little while. But there's going to be an end to it. There's going to be a victory to it. There's going to be a set me free from this that's going to be a part of that. That they're going to be tested. And they're going to suffer. But in the end, you're going to conquer. That's the beauty of 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 standing here or sitting here and, and saying, I have faith in Jesus Christ. I have placed my faith and I will face trouble. I will face tribulation. I may be poor, but I am rich in spirit. And so whenever things get like this, when all that stuff we see on TV that's so ugly finds its way to Jefferson County, Stand firm and be faithful. Pray for more faith. Pray for God. Say, God, I believe, but I want to believe more of that. I want more faith, Lord. Test me. I'm ready for this. And he will give you, he will be faithful to you. He will be faithful to you and give you the crown of life. And the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. If you get through all the things, all the all the struggles, all the hard things in life that you've got going on, I don't know where you're at in your life, but but I know things get get rough. But we we serve a, a risen savior. We're the only religion on the planet that is true. We're the only religion on the planet that serves a living God. Uh, 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 Jesus conquered death. That 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 he, he, was, he was crucified and buried and he was dead. And he, he tells us that when he introduces himself in some of these introductions to these churches, he says, I, he says, I died and I came to life. No other religion on the planet can claim that. And the more and more and more I study scripture and I hope you can say the same, the more and more I'm convinced that this has to be the one true faith. This has to be. God reveals that and shows you. And he changes us. And he shows us that, hey, I'm gonna sustain you. You're gonna conquer whatever it is that you're going through. I conquered sin. So you, hey, I already got you covered. So if you just lean into me, I'm gonna get you through this and you're not gonna be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? The second death is separation from God forever. See, we're all gonna die once. I throw... I'll throw a long shot out there and say that everybody here has known somebody, physically walking around, you could talk to and hug and go out to eat with and, and then they've passed away and now you can't. We're all gonna die once. You might know, get 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, we're still going to die. And when we die, we're separated from this physical life. But if we are in Christ, if we are truly rich in spirit and we have Jesus living in us, if we are saved, then, then we die once and, and we go and we, we be with Jesus and, and we're not separated from God for eternity. And the second death is when we're separated from God for eternity, not separated from God until he ruins everything and, and wipes it clean, separated from God forever. But the faithful believer won't be hurt by that. And, and, and when, I, when I look at the book of Revelation and I, I read through it and I get confused, I was like, okay, what does this actually mean? And what, what is he really saying to the church in Smyrna? And I can look at, look at some of this and I say, okay, what, what's important to me is that I've placed my faith in Christ and I can stand on that. And I and, and I might not know everything that's gonna happen in in, in this world after I die, or what's gonna happen in, in eternity after I die. But what I do know is that I'm on the winning team. And if you're a born again believer, you're on the winning team. Because Jesus conquered sin, he conquered hell, and he stole the keys to hell so we won't be hurt and the faithful believer can rest in that a faithful believer during 10 days of persecution can rest in knowing that my faith has set me free and you'll be in heaven with God forever while the wicked are judged for their sins the Christian will already have been accounted for by the cross of Christ and there is no more condemnation in that that's what's cool So my encouragement to you tonight, just as Jesus encourages the church in Smyrna, is to stand firm in your faith, the faith that God has assigned you and do the work that he calls you to, regardless of what that looks like, regardless of where that sends you, and just stand firm. Please pray with me as... The worship team comes up to close us in a song. Father God, I thank you so much for the truth of your message to this church in Smyrna, this probably relatively small group of people that lived some 1,900 years ago and were faithful enough to be encouraged by you and to not be rebuked. That doesn't mean they were doing everything perfect. I, I, I can't assume that, it may be, may be true, but God, I, I trust that as we look at this scripture that you will just show each of us, Lord, in our life, what it truly means to have wealth. What it truly means to say, I, I got everything that I need. I might not have the biggest house on the block or the nicest car I might not have the best job or the easiest situation but if I've got you God living in my heart I got everything I need and I pray Lord that that is true for us today and that you will just encourage us and wrap your arms around us as we come to this place to worship you our savior in Jesus name I pray amen